I do mustard. I do a, I do a but, mix of mustards. Um, well, mustard's good too. Yeah, I put like um, some yellow, some Dijon, and some. Uh, I'm a cheese guy, and dude. some brown in there. If I'm getting me a soft pretzel. It's one of those establishments. Give me that fucking. I'm not cheese. big on like the hot cheese thing. I don't know. Like oh, nachos are good, it. but it's I'm not like something where I'm like, oh man, I wanted to. Like I would much rather have chips and salsa than nachos. Welcome, Welcome back, back to, to food talk. talk. Welcome back to Dip Talk. <laughs> I'm Dick Hartley. With me as always is Abe Gajian. Dipping things right now. First, the ladies of Duke. <laughs> we will not. As per our legal department, <laughs> has required me to say, we will not at any time be dipping things into in the, the ladies, ladies of Duke. Duke. <laughs> nor will we dip the ladies of Duke into things. Well, that's, well, yeah, into things. I was going to say, you can't say we can't dip the ladies of Duke. And we're doing a dance. We're do a nice little flurly dip. That's nothing wrong with that. Well, I got to tell you, Abe, I've talked to the ladies of Duke about this and they lead. So I believe you're going to be the one getting dipped here. They are the ladies of Duke. The ladies of Duke dip us. Exactly. Welcome, welcome. Welcome, nerds and nerdettes. Welcome, obscurials of all shapes and flavors. You're listening to the Comedy Nerd Spoken of- Word. Okay, let's start there. Comedy Spoken Word. Comedy Spoken Word. I was not informed of the name change first. <laughs> Second, how is this Comedy Spoken Word? Is this a comparison to Charlie Chaplin? <laughs> what do we mean by Comedy Spoken Word? Broke. Uh, country. Comedy Spoken Word. Was that supposed to help? <laughs> Baroque or country? Comedy spoken word. It's like, yeah, no, what? What the hell does that fucking mean? Rock and roll? (laughs) Comedy spoken word. No, no, that doesn't help. You might as well say like lamp. Comedy spoken word. Carpet? Comedy spoken word. Yeah, okay. Of course, now I get it. You shaking your hands and head is not helping the situation. Why would our podcast be comedy spoken word? Why does Baroque classic rock help define your uh, premise here? Again, classic rock. I'm not moving on past this. Explain yourself. Rap. Rap. So we're just moving on. Okay. We're just moving on. Welcome to comedy spoken word.
I'm just as confused as you are at this point. Okay. Rap. What was the name of the famous mime? Like in the 60s, 70s, the Frenchie. He was like the most famous mime. Marcel Marceau. You're giving a lot of big dick Marcel Marceau energy right now. You gotta assume he had a hog. Again, I don't know why you're doing all these gestural World. comedy things for our auditory podcast. He, he does the... World music. World music. Okay, uh, we're on to a new Odyssey. I got a couple segments I've been thinking about. I have a third one I haven't uh, mentioned to Oklahoma, but I don't think his prior knowledge is that needed. It's a pretty straightforward thing, and actually should be a pretty quick thing maybe we'll do it first maybe that'll be you know the barometer hip-hop i think i see the bit now <laughs> classic rock interesting though is because i guess the episode is gonna be a little music heavy so besides one possible segment and maybe if this first segment actually goes long maybe the second segment will just be put aside experimental that one fit that was pretty good that was pretty good now I'm also understanding all the gestures. You have to compensate communication with uh, gestures because you can't use a lot of words, much much like Italians. Oh, oh, oh cheap shot. Bringing the comedy. It's just, when am I ever going to get a cheap shot on Italians like that again? That was just the thing. Like, I immediately thought of the cheap shot on Italians. It's like, I got to take this because it's never going to get lined up in a conversation ever again like this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> gospel well played i guess we'll have to try to keep this a little short since we're a little handcuffed here no no i'm <laughs> i can't do it i can't do it well no i'm ready to just cut the i was cut gonna the break but i was gonna try and go a whole whole a whole <laughs> intro i was no, the whole episode <laughs> no the whole episode you couldn't do i was gonna try and do the whole episode saying no. nothing but musical genre <laughs> no the whole episode you cannot do i, I was thought you didn't say hi i'm eric because i was gonna go you were gonna go hi i'm eric and i was gonna go honky tonk oh they do a thing on Threedom, uh, which is the Lapkiss, Paul of Tompkins, Scott Ackerman. Right. And they do what they'll call Threechers, and they'll just have little games. Kind of, We usually improv kind improv of games. Improv kind of games, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you've seen the show then? Okay. No, but I'm familiar with their work. Right. So one is, it's based off the song Jitterbug with uh, the, the Wham song, but the whole thing is that the snaps, uh -huh. right? And then you have to have a three-syllable thing, and then it goes to the next person. So for the thing I imagined when you did that was honky tonk, football cream, <laughs> you know, just go more and more ridiculous on it. Yeah, as they try and come up with three syllable words. Right, right. Yeah. It's a fun one. Well, do you want to describe to cut time later uh, what our segments are going to be or should we just get a little break and get into the show? It's up to you if you want to, I don't know, some, we haven't done Feed the Obscurial. We could talk about the segments. It's uh... Let's do a Feed the Obscurial. You got something good? Well, we did see Ant-Man. Nice. Yes. No spoilers. I still haven't even seen Wakanda forever yet, so I don't mind. Yeah. But it fed the Obscurial pretty good uh it was not as good as the last two but it was i thought it was still pretty good some okay. people are like really hating on it and i'm like it was still fun well that whole franchise it drums to a beat what am i looking for beat beat to, to a different drummer drummer oh has, yeah yeah um what's the exact turn of phrase the exact the exact phrase is uh walks to the beat of a different drummer yeah so pretty much right yeah. and what's funny doing press for it he did uh the fly on the wall which is uh spade and carvey their oh, yeah. podcast 
for some reason i don't know why he's been on snl so that's why it's like a nice catch-all because that's kind of their bit so it's right snl stuff but he was talking about that because he was actually a co-writer paul rudd for the first two and yeah I and think he wasn't on this one this one he wasn't and yeah and and it's, it's not quite as funny there's still some funny shit in it right but, but the comedy really shone through in the first couple ant-men mm-hmm. and it was funny he was talking about how figgy was a pretty big comedy fan and it kind of like makes sense especially that ending of uh she hulk yeah and like all that kind of stuff you could see like the upper brass loving that mm-hmm. uh figgy i guess in in particular well do you, do you know about the villain i do and that's why i was curious because it felt like the reason why Rudd wasn't able to write this one because it was definitely like uh, Kang. It felt like it was going to be like its own real definite thing. Introducing Kang the Conqueror Mm -hmm. and like kind of has to do really well because it feels like Kang the Conqueror is like a Thanos level villain. So it's just like his first exploit. Is it set up where Kang is going to be like there maybe could be an Avengers with Kang or like he's... Oh no, he is. Yeah, they're not nipping that in the bud right now right they're going to continue on with the case. yes right. yes and how it was is, jonathan major oh, he was, he awesome was in amazing in he the was Loki awesome show in when they kind of first teased yeah but uh and he does something totally different in this one because mm-hmm. it's there's you know Within the mythology that makes sense yeah because there's and because uh not i mean i don't think this will spoil anything for you the going forward they're really getting into the multiverse thing yeah and so that plays a part of it so of course right. he's a different than he was in loki he's a different multiverse yeah right. copy right of kang so right. he's like playing kind of a different spin on it you know and and they're definitely setting up that kind of thing are they gonna have part of the multiverse with the secret invasion stuff i don't know specifically yeah. what they're doing with secret invasion yet well that's also a big avenger style yeah you know, uh, and um thing. yeah that was a big crossover event that went you know a big thing but the thing is 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 it's gonna be a little weird because in the comic books the scrolls are villains straight up villains right and they're the villains of that storyline and in this we have the scrolls are sympathetic you know they're throwaway pc cancel culture that's trying to make the scrolls the good guys Yeah, the scrolls are much more sympathetic. So it'll be interesting to see if but how they're going to the play whole this scroll but. thing. And I felt like we talked about this, but like it's the classic like double cross and like this, that, and the other. Like, didn't we have something on some about the scrolls and like how they're always on a double cross? Or I think maybe I'm having some deja vu weird stuff here. I don't know. Might have been podcast 1.0, but uh, but I think we might have we talked might have talked about them a little bit in uh, in this one. Maybe. We when we were talking about WandaVision. Maybe it came up somewhere in there. Oh, yeah. With spinoffs. Yeah, definitely could be. Oh, bad news. I did see online. I usually don't... I don't read a lot of stuff online, like in terms of spoilers and whatnots, but uh, they are not doing Thunderbolts the way you want it to. Oh, really? Yeah, they're doing the second version of Thunderbolts, not Baron Zemo's version um, but they're doing the second when they rebooted it later yeah or retconned or, right well just revived the team really sure. and they made a, a new version of the team that was basically exactly like suicide squad where it's like these are villains who are like commuting their sentence by doing yeah. dangerous government missions so in the comics it was like venom and like green goblin and songbird i think i forget i forget who else songbird, no, songbird she was in songbird the first one was in the first but yeah i know venom was part of it yeah when they re when they did the re the new version and, and yeah, and it was pretty much it makes their sense. Suicide Squad. It's just Suicide Squad's already kind already of done. So it would have been interesting for them to do the other way with it. And but James Gunn did redeem the franchise, which we had a whole season about. But yeah, definitely the first one. 
really yeah. shat the bed on the whole idea and premise. Just got a stink on it now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just like, ugh, I wouldn't touch that with a 10 foot pole. But, you know, maybe they can pull it out. Uh, did you watch Peacemaker? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that that was good. No, that's what I said. Uh, James Gunn kind of redeemed it because Peacemaker wasn't in the very first one. No, the only true line second, yeah. is a Harley Quinn. Exactly. And Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn. Yeah. But I just Elba and John Cena and just like, who is the one that's Polka Dot Man? He was fucking amazing. Oh, his name is it's David Dasharnian yeah. or something like that. Some yeah. it's, a, it's a long like Eastern European name. Um, he I was also one really of. S- speaking of Ant Man, he was one of the the buddies. Oh yeah, yeah, in yeah, Ant Man yeah. when yeah. he's when he gets out of prison and him and uh, um motherfucker his buddy and him start the security business and then yeah. there's the the goateed Hispanic guy. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. there's the the rapper. I can't remember his and name then either. the other guy. He's the yeah, other guy. Right. He's the third guy. But also the always what I remember him from is uh dark knight and the scene with i think it's yeah i know it's with um harvey he's like trying to get to joker and he's like putting a gun to his head and everything mm-hmm. and he's laughing and then batman comes up says oh you know he's deranged there's no mm-hmm. reason to shoot him and kind of getting those first inklings of harvey becoming two-faced and those that kind yeah. of foreshadowing kind of thing and uh he just just has a real interesting look and you just kind of remember that face and that's yeah. the first thing i remembered really significantly that he was in interesting career and the fact of being in so many huge comic book franchises but never having to be tied to like Oh, I always have to be so and so. Yeah, know what I mean. Well, cool. Some uh, some good Disney Marvel action. Well, if I had to say there's anything on my obscurial side, there's been a big focus in the house on Breath of the Wild, Zelda, where like my son is getting to be a completionist. Is the second one out now? No, it's coming out in May. It's coming out so in May. So it's even more the reason why he like wants to get everything done done. There's definitely, they've done a very good job where you could just spend an infinite amount of time on there if you want to, but also like if you want to be done with the game, you can be done with the game. Mm-hmm. Like you can kill Ganon and just, you know, it'll always keep saving to you about to go into the Ganon fight or you go out and get the upgrade on every gear and get every gear in the game and get all this kind of stuff. Right. The big one is there's shrines which become spawn points throughout all the maps and stuff mm-hmm. like that and if you unlock every shrine then you get a certain piece of gear and it's actually like the OG Zelda gear like something directly from you know the green cap and right. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. We just got done that with that a few days ago. Excited about that. And there was a DLC that came out that you could unlock a motorcycle. And that was really cool when we got that opened up. So, yeah, I mean, it is a really well-engineered game. And I'm really excited about the new one. We're both really excited about the new one coming out. So... A lot of Zelda in my house. Now, has he played any of the others? Oh, I've forced him to play like the OG and <laughs> like those kind of. I haven't gotten all of the like in betweens. Mm-hmm. And like we've talked about in previous iterations of this uh, podcast, that second one that came out on Nintendo was just kind of. No. Yeah. I would say the. Uh, but the uh, Ocarina of Ocarina, Time. The, the ones, if he really wants to jump into some of the Ocarina good, of Time. Some of the best ones. Yeah. 
Yeah. The Ocarina of Time. Yeah, because it's like the, you know, little yeah. the flute-like instrument. Ocarina of Time. Um, what platform was that on? That was the N64. Okay. The one for the GameCube was Wind Waker. That's a that's a really cool one, too. You do a lot of sailing in yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that and one. And the other, the one that came out for uh, Twilight Princess. Twilight Princess, is the, right. It was the main one for the Wii. Well, it's been fun. So I would say those those three and, and the original are probably the big ones to hit. The rest, the rest of, there were a bunch of like Game Boy ones and... Yeah. Well, what's been fun is that it does have such a rich history and a rich mythology and all this kind of stuff. And my son's really gotten all in. He got little printout coloring pages and he's got them up in his room and like all of the avatars for the Switch are all Zelda themed now. Like he's nice. really getting into it. And so actually I got him, not Henshay, what is it? Manga, translated to English, of course, of Majora's Mask and mm. like the comic book stuff of that nice. I know twilight princess has some really epic stuff with that but it's like it's a little bit more like 12 to 14 yeah. not really 8 to 12 so <laughs> i need a little i need to skew a little bit younger i mean obviously he'll you know gonna be playing that new one soon but if uh if after that if there if he wants to get into one like the next one i would do would be wind waker yeah. and then go ocarina of time probably and then yeah. twilight princess well what's oh. fucked up is that what they've done for the breath of the wild and it's it was really it really like pewtered out but they kind of baked in from the wee wii u they had the amobi we had little guys and it was like really popular for a while with like skylander yeah and then you'd be able to do it but like you'd have these little figurines that you would buy and it would like you know do activate things activate when you put things. them on a periphery exactly it had a little peripheral stand chip in them mm -hmm. and that would interact with the game so he's become this completionist and he wants to get all the gear and like now he wants to get all the amobi bullshit right and they're like 60 bucks a pop oh, yeah. <laughs> and there's just like oh, one yeah. set of gear that it gives you for that 60 bucks and it's just like and they're all like ebay collector japanese import shit where it's like uh you know they're just gonna fucking gouge you like a motherfucker yeah for a cheap piece of plastic that probably costs about six bucks to make oh yeah and they're just yeah yeah that that whole thing that's uh it's a brilliant marketing ploy fucking racket that's oh, what it yeah, is exactly <laughs> that is someone someone in the marketing department made their money when they came up with that idea right. like we'll make little figures they gotta buy the figures to unlock the stuff in the game like have you seen the mythic quest the oh, is that show that rob, rob McElhenney yeah has where it's like a, on apple plus i have not we do yeah. not have apple plus so i haven't got to see it yet i hear it's pretty good so from community you look yeah community, danny right? pooty is on danny it, right? pooty he plays the financial guy he's the one that makes the like in-game stuff that everybody's pays for and like like all that stuff and right. it's, so it's really like it's an interesting side of it and they do I think a really good job with it and it's really he's like really unsavory but like he plays it really good it's, it's very well done that nice. show I really do have enjoyed that show yeah but I listened to um, the Always Sunny podcast and every time they kind of mention it Dennis because Charlie Day is actually an, an EP on it on oh, no, Mythic, Mythic Quest, Quest. so but like Dennis he's very tight but Dennis has nothing to, to do, do with, with it him. so he always go oh a Mr. Quest <laughs> <laughs> So, oh, I guess one other obscurial little bit kind of, we got a new car. And so kind of getting into car stuff again, trying to like, you know, we're, we're in the process of getting like new floor mats and doing all that stuff, but kind of, you know, 
my problem with the last one we got was that it wasn't really thought of for long term. It was a Nissan Juke, which has a CVT, the continuous variable transmission. Right. And like they're notorious for the little metal band that they have for the CVT, a braking after about 60,000 miles. You're lucky if you get 120. So we have now a Honda Pilot which is a six speed and so with that transmission and honda and their engines like you fucking treat her right 50, 40 50 or 400 500 miles are pretty easy expectation yeah. maybe it's you're not gonna more. get the toyota six seven hundred thousand mile bullshit but it's yeah. a 10 year 15 year car <laughs> yeah so, yeah the juke was a little bit of a novelty car <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely was. And, and it was are something they, that, are they even still making them? Like I No. Yeah, no, like they didn't last um, very long. There there's as a, what as the a thing. equivalent model is called the Kicks. The Kick. See yeah, yeah. that's your sign right there. They're calling it the um, Kicks. But it was definitely something that I just kind of let my wife do her thing on it. And like she got it through. She did all of herself. She got through Carvana. Had never test drove it. Came, yeah. was coming from Georgia. Ugh. You know, all these kind of stuff. Hell no. And so this time it's like, okay, yeah. There was months and months of like research and i feel like i did the best i could on this deal but like anyone going in to get a used car like you need to spend a long time researching this from a dealer i mm -hmm. mean of course um and especially a new car because there's so much bullshit there's so much stuff you have to deal with and if you don't on your shit know your shit like okay this is what this car is going for on the open market this is what you're going to get at auction mm -hmm. this is what my the apr should be like we actually went to a bank and got a quote already we got it at 6.1 apr mm -hmm. they wanted to have theirs at 8.49 like two points of apr is a pretty big fucking you know margin there yeah and so it's like people who just rolled up that day and decided they wanted to get a car and getting fucking fleece getting screwed and uh oh there were the only real trauma was the extended warranty like we just we weren't gonna have it and i felt like i didn't get what i wanted to out of the trade-in for sure mm -hmm. and so it was something like i still think because it was a juke and fucking prices are just dropping like a stone across mm -hmm. the board but especially those like the toyotas and honda is gonna hold a little bit more value but those nissan jukes like they're going down so it's like maybe they'll get this on the market or on the auction mm -hmm. i don't know i feel like they'll get a higher price on the auction but you know there's a risk there there's risk yeah there, and i get that but i felt like it was really like the the big boss the guy upstairs it's like okay because i got pretty close to asking price for what they had which is a difficult thing because you okay you go in for a car that's twenty eight thousand dollars and then it's suddenly 33 because they have all this bullshit add-on so it's like okay right. out the door i'm gonna get what you're advertising here which is a hard hill yeah in the first place that's the thing is they're banking that most people won't do that well but they're most also, people just say okay i they're, guess they're banking most people won't do that but also because of the internet they are having their prices very competitive and mm -hmm. they did have what it should be priced at according to the area and the pricing and all that stuff it wasn't right. like they had it marked up two grand for negotiation sake like they had it put where it was supposed to be because everyone can go online and get prices from everywhere so you got to kind of put it there yeah. you know and then that's the first level but really the car selling itself is not where these dealerships are making money and that's another thing is you need to understand how the whole system 
system works and all this kind of stuff. Like where they make money is firstly all the add-on bullshit. Mm -hmm. So I got I chopped that shit in the secondly, the extended warranties, and that's why he was fighting me so hard on that. Third is the finance office. And mm -hmm. I kind of had a roadblock there with okay, I got a good my bank who's gonna give me a decent rate, and not just mm -hmm. the kickback from the bank that you're gonna get who's gonna have that markup. Mm -hmm. And then the last bargaining chip you have as a buyer though is like the service department. You say, hey, I'm a local person. I want to buy local and I want to be able to fix it local. So something comes wrong with it. And then you come in there and you get your standard oil change. And then it's like, hey, your battery terminals look a little bad. We went ahead and cleaned that. We're going to go clean that for you. And then mm -hmm. that's 150 bucks for fucking battery terminal cleaning. I got <laughs> shit here. I yeah. can do all that with like all the little bullshit incidentals. Even mm -hmm. if it's like, oh, a cab filter, right? They're going to charge you minimum 30, 35 bucks on that because their time is worth at least 70 bucks an hour. And it takes about a half hour to do, but it's also any easy job you know but like with that juke i had to tear apart half the fucking dash in order to get to that cab filter so it is justified you took a half hour get to that motherfucker because they intentionally made it difficult so that you would have to do it yes. so i my ass wouldn't do it you know exactly. what i mean so service is definitely more of a revenue stream than the selling of the cars because they have to be so competitive because of the globalization mm -hmm. of it all on the internet and everything so leverage that leverage the fact that i'm going to be coming here again and then you will get a low or price on your vehicle because they know that's where they're really going to be able to make some money off mm -hmm. your ass and then go do your own fucking filter changes is <laughs> my suggestion sorry to to get over to click and clack don't drive like my brother don't drive like my brother soups on people soups on Welcome back. So I was realizing this could actually become a recurring segment. So let's just put a, a pin in that as an idea. Oklahoma is just as oblivious to what we're going to do as you are, dear audience. I've decided to call this a sampler platter. So there'll be a particular, you know, subtitle. But the idea is that, you know, basically a sample, right? So a sampler platter would be like a bunch of different songs that all come from this origin song. You know, it's like um, doing the uh, missing link kind of thing uh -huh. of evolution, but with music. So... In particular, it caught my attention this song called Big Energy. This is a song that came out in 2021. Mm -hmm. It was a, a moderate hit. It was nominated for, what was it? It was, uh, I didn't even know this was a category name, but it was nominated for a Grammy for Best Melodic Rap Performance. Didn't know that was a category, but okay. <laughs> here, here we are. Here we are. Uh, um, the Grammys, ladies and gentlemen. So why don't we just, I'm assuming by your blank stare, this is not a song you're familiar with at all. No. Who's this by? Okay. It's by an artist named Lato. L-A-T-T-O. Big Energy is the name of the song. Nope. It's never heard it. In my opinion, a female rapper in the vein of Mickey Minaj all is right. the best way to describe it. And this but, is not Lizzo. No. Okay. Because there's a female rapper named I know, Lizzo. But Lato. No, no, I know. Lizzo is, even for my bumpkin ass, I know who Lizzo is, and this is not mistaken right, name kind of thing. Just okay. checking. I know they all look the same to you. Wow. Rappers. <laughs> Women. <laughs> 
<laughs> women. I know women all look the same to you. Without further ado, let's get a little sound bite here of Lato Big Energy. Okay, so I, I do have to say, you know, I caught my eye this song, and it does have that fucking. It feels like some fucking Jay Z, fucking uh, Biggie Smalls, even like Tupac, like that old school rap, like where they're. Yeah. It is why it was strange to be melodic, but that, that feels like old school rap to me. That is yeah. fucking, and it's doing a fucking badass job. I think it's a fucking banger. I recently realized a little while ago that I didn't really know what was going on with like modern rap. I'm like, you know what? Yeah. I, I have not listened to a to a you know new hip hop artists you know right. in like years. Right. So I went to search. I did the old man thing. I went to Wikipedia, looked no, up you history went to of hip hop, Alta Vista to. <laughs> to go to Google, to go to Wikipedia. Yeah, I, used, I, I logged into Netscape and uh, and went to Google.com to to Bing it. <laughs> and you know, so do you think there's ever been an occasion in existence where someone who's gone to Google to find Bing? <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure someone's done. What it. a sad world we live in. Yes. So I went to the Wikipedia page and just like looked up like history of hip hop and went to like. 2010s, you know, and just like picked out who were the names they mentioned, you know, and listened to a bunch of these and went on YouTube. And I will note, I noticed that there's this whole mumble rap thing with and the weird, like, I'm not into what a lot of the dudes were doing with the new, new styles yeah. of rap. Yeah. But the women are fucking ripping it, man. Yeah. That's like, they're the ones who are really doing like sick flows with their rapping, like, really. And like you said, having a bit of an old school flavor, like, kind of yeah. carrying the torch. Yeah. Where for the sure. guys are doing this weird kind of like, it's still kind of rap but it's becoming edm kind of stuff but i have noticed and i and i guess this is another thing carrying the torch from the dudes because the dudes back in the day certainly were man they are raunchy no, they are now holding fucking back no, 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 no. i mean kudos to you but like yeah i was listening to some i listened to a bunch of megan the stallion because yeah. i heard the name but i hadn't actually sat down and listened to her and like i'm like oh she's really good and then i kind of listened to what i'm like and she's raunchy yeah <laughs> But I think that's fucking kind of cool them, yeah. because it's definitely like, you can't be like, oh yeah, that's all fine and good, but you're all cutesy and cutesy and stuff. It's like, no, no, no. We're up there with you motherfuckers. You ain't going to outdo us in any fucking realm. You yeah. know what I mean? No, yeah. <laughs> like, we'll be dirtier. We'll be more right up. And then also it's like, it hits different when they're being dirty because it's like celebratory in the dirtiness instead yeah. of like uh, misogynistic, instead of like treating them like objects. It's yeah. like, okay, back to the subject, back to reality. Obviously, within that song, I Can Be Your Fantasy, we all know what that's a reference to, right, Oklahoma? Uh, are you talking about the original song, or are you talking about the Mariah Carey song? We're, well, we're going to get to the other one, but yes, obviously, that's a reference, I Can Be Your Fantasy. Mariah Carey came out with a little song called Fantasy, which the original we'll talk about later, and I don't know how much Lato had an influence Yeah, that's of my that question, is or which, not. are they sampling but, the Mariah Carey, the whole or are they point sampling this, the song that Mariah Carey sampled? It's like the... It's 
it's like the the jazz stuff. The whole point of this is if there's someone out there who doesn't know all this history and stuff like that, I think most people, and I definitely think the artist Lotto had Mariah Carey in her mind yeah. when she was doing this. I think that's a very fucking direct <laughs> yeah. um, homage by saying far, I could be your fantasy. And far more likely that she'd be familiar with that song. Yeah, we will get to the other later, but for those who are unawares, there's a song by Mariah Carey called Fantasy, and it goes as such. <laughs> Welcome to the fantasy. <laughs> A quick aside here, in the research for this, going back and watching the music videos and stuff, the 90s were so fucking weird with their music videos and their openings and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, sure. Research. You watched a bunch of Mariah Carey videos as research. funny that you can really pinpoint like okay this was post dry and the way the tone is for it and stuff is mm-hmm. so fucking like Dre LA fucking rap not hip hop fucking rap mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean just totally change the games even for Mariah Carey it's so funny to like see origins and stuff and what is that actually maybe Oklahoma you're the instrument? better instrument what is the thing they're using yeah, to make yeah. that noise I ain't nothing but a G thing really that for me at least was the first time that got highly featured and really got into the musical zeitgeist um, synthesizer yeah so you don't know the exact specs of the I don't know the exact specs of the instrument the whole story of this because you know this is well actually fuck I didn't look it up uh, Mariah Carey this would have been like late 90s uh, early I just 2000s looked it up, so I was trying to see yeah 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 95 why though like the musicality of it it is this eternal beat and its origins are in an 80s group that I like the story of like it was the one hit wonder right but it was like the side project of one of the most successful and kind of revolutionary 80s bands of all the talking heads the Tom Tom Club yeah. was two members of the Talking Heads that went out and did their own little side project. Yeah, thing. it's the bassist and the drummer, right? I think you're right with that. Like, definitely, they got a predicate. They, uh, they could have not done this song at all and still be fucking enshrined in the music. Yeah, fucking. they're in the Rock and Roll Hall. Thing. But it's like so cool that they just did this little side thing, too, yeah. it, like out of nowhere. And it became this huge hit.
it is very if you just listened if we when we go back and listen to the song it's very experimental it's very kind of weird and it's kind of an anomaly that became a hit but it just has such a fucking good jam and vibe like mm. it's just so fucking cool that it's to this day keeps on getting sampled and sampled and sampled mm. but let's get a little taste of genius of love by the tom tom club such a cool beat obviously mm-hmm. the the melody is just awesome but you you get what i'm feeling about the experimental nature oh yeah they're playing around with sounds and stuff and right mm-hmm. there's stuff that like we have to remember this was the 80s this was before all this other this is like some groundbreaking musical exploration yeah. in this song by itself so mm-hmm. it's only apropos that the talking heads were associated with it because that's definitely yeah. what they were known for But like, surprising that it became this big hit that it did, because it was a Billboard charting hit, legitimately. And then Mariah Carey makes a big hit out of it, and now this Lato has a big hit out of it. Definitely got a Blondie kind of vibe to it too, like a danceability kind of vibe. Yeah. So I can see it, you know. It was played at the clubs for sure. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, it's also just not like a straightforward song. They're kind of doing some like goofy stuff in it. You know, kind of playing around, but they're also doing like, let's throw some weird sounds in here. Let's uh, mess with it there. Let's some studio magic going on. It's got some vibe of like early EDM, like Brian Eno, like you're kind of fucking with the form a little bit, but you're still very accessible that they're playing it at the club. It's an interesting, like, I'm being really fucking weird here, but everybody loves it when they're at the club. You know, like that's a almost oxymoronical ability. Did you just press your nose for a gesture of something? Yes. Okay. I'm saying people probably were also, you know, pretty high at the club. That was them doing coke. So people were probably that was a like, gesture oh, like shit, like man. pulling on your ear or something that's supposed to tell me something of like am no, I supposed no. to steal third? Cocaine. <laughs> cocaine. No. no, people people in the 1980s in the club people were on cocaine, man. So yeah, it was something where it's like like you said, it's got a the beat and the groove to it, the bass part. Like the rhythm section is solidly danceable. Yeah, and then it's getting kind of weird, and people are you know they're a little high, so it's probably blowing their mind. They're probably like oh. 
yeah. It's kind of a little atmospheric, almost builds like a soundscape kind of thing. So I can see okay, people getting those are like, the words right there. Really kind of lost into the it. Soundscape, and that's what's so important. Like when you're at the club, because you're stuck with all these people around you, right? But for me, especially when you get into like real rave EDM and stuff mm -hmm. like that, that's what you're doing. That's the job. It's not telling a story. It's not taking people on a journey or like having them headbang or anything like that. No, it's you're making a soundscape for everybody to get lost in. Yeah, and the drugs help. The drugs help like a them. motherfucker. You want to, you want to envelop <laughs> them in a soundscape, and that is a beautiful phrase for. Her. I'm so mm. glad you stumbled upon it. And yeah, I do feel like the Tom Tom Club Genius of Love was this crazy precursor to like everything that would come after it, and uh, just breaking ground on, on new ways. Mm. And the whole thing was was that on paper none of it was supposed to be successful because the, the all the rest of the songs are that is the soundscape the dreamscape all of this kind of stuff where like it's so avant-garde nobody's gonna get it but then they have this song that becomes this number one hit and like, everybody gets hit and yeah. everybody gets it fucked up at the club and yeah I, I definitely think it was it it has that vibe of something like being the side project thing I think it was kind of something where like with talking heads you know and David Byrne he's very much doing like these like songs like he's coming in with these songs right that are you compositions know, compositions and this was I feel like was them kind of like screwing around with ideas in the studio and just kind of having fun and like ooh, what if we tried this what if we did that what if Do we you throw some of this on there if I could even like give you $20 to get this would you be able to actually recite what the first line of this is the first line the first thing I am cognizant of them saying in the song is what you gonna do when you get out of jail and how's that end uh, I'm gonna have some fun what do you consider fun or something it's like what do you do for what fun? do you consider, consider fun? fun fun natural, natural fun. fun that gets us to this what I'm gonna do Erica bad do I'm gonna have some fun what do you consider fun fun natural fun Busta Rhymes, especially with this area where, you know, you had Erica Badu near her top of her fucking oh, yeah. peak. The shit she had done with the roots and like fucking just awesome. But this correlation, this song here, but it's the sampler platter. And there's always that one weird thing. You got your sampler platter, you got your mozzarella sticks, and you got your french fries, and then you got something like deep fried mushrooms. <laughs> where it's like, okay, I guess this all fits, but this isn't necessarily what I would have thrown in by myself and I'd be like this is this is the oddball but I still have the through line I still have like a, a Freudian slip or whatever of like they're it's about the song too there, there's a subconscious you know collective unconscious correlation to me because of that beginning This one family coming first, play your position. 
position. You make the sacrifices, I make the same too. From all the struggle that I see, that's why my love is for you. You always hold it down for me, so I'ma hold it for you. And watch the babies while you secure the food to come through. Now don't you let my ambition make you feel like competition. We should both play a role in our whole living condition. True indeed. I know you symbolize the strength inside the family. Then show me you can handle womanly responsibility. Not a problem, I know you hold I know the ladies are starting to really take charge now, but Erica Badu was definitely a precursor to being the women being able to just be on the fucking on the level. Not just like, oh, isn't it she's cute, she's doing it like fucking Erica Badu was fucking Erica Badu was the James Brown of that. You know what I mean? Like doing it before anybody else. Anyways, it's been coupled in my mind with the song because of what you gonna do with Erica Badu. I'm gonna have some fun. The, the fact that it's very specific about fun, natural fun. But it, this fits perfectly into my next one because this kind of reverse engineers the whole thing. But I do want to flip it on its head at the end. But the point of entry for me, what is someone who doesn't have all the knowledge of the old school songs and stuff like that? So I got an Eminem song. So if you know who Eminem is, <laughs> if you haven't heard of all this, if you've never heard the Tom Tom Glove, you have no idea what the fuck that is. Eminem, you should know who is. This is a song you may not be familiar with though, because it was off of his one of his first albums. A deep cut as well. It's a rock bottom. I want to point out the reason why I knew this song in general was that I had a roommate who was, you know. Don't say it. Don't say it. No, he was white. Don't say it. Don't say what then? Oh, I know what you were going to say. Don't what say was it. I going to say? Don't say it. Can't say that. Nobody can say that. He was a native wigger. to the area. You were going to say wigger. Oh, oof. Uh, well, we're being cat noise. He was very lotto. <laughs> I'm just wondering if that's. Whatever that means. That's what Eminem. Let, let's get, let's, yeah, let's get back to. Okay. Back to your wigger roommate. Yes, my uh, drug dealing native. Roommate who is all into native is a community just outside of. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know what the relevance of that is. is it's only relevant to me because it's like, okay, the equivalent of like, where would be the equivalent of like where all the weed grows are here? You know what I mean? Like, gotcha. Anyways, he played this, but I immediately knew the reference material, even though it's different enough, but we're going to go on a whole voyage with it. So right. this is Rock Bottom by Eminem. Ayo, this song is dedicated to all the happy people, all the happy people who have real nice lives. And I have no idea what it's like to be broke as fuck. I feel like I'm walking a tightrope without a circus in it. Popping Percocet, I'm a nervous wreck. I deserve respect, but I work a sweat for this worthless check. I'm about to burst this tech and somebody to reverse this debt. The beginning there is, uh, to me, the marker. This is what I, I know mm -hmm. they are pulling material off of.
Is he covering Porgy and Bess? Summertime. Ah, hey, don't Summer- get ahead of yourself. Do not get ahead of yourself. Okay. Well, that the- is Summertime by Jan Joplin. The guitar is definitely the sample point. Like for me, immediately, he was hearing that song in that sample and he had no idea about the Jan Joplin and all that. And I immediately was like, oh, that's Jan Joplin's riff. Big Brother in the Holding Company. Cheap Thrill, which R. Crumb did the artwork on. Just iconic album. If, if you're going to have one in your fucking library of Jan Joplin, that's the one you need. Ball and change. It's fucking great. Great shit. Anyways, it's not a note for note sample. You know what I mean? They didn't d- directly take it. Is someone else playing it? It's a little bit slow, but the da 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 the the trills and everything like that. That's what they're fucking playing. There's no doubt in my mind. It's <laughs> exactly what they're playing. They didn't actually take the song on a record and then just put it into their song. They had someone else do it. The difference between taking a photo and photoshopping it and taking a photo and making a painting out of it. But the thing is, and you already alluded to the pedigree behind the song anyways, but I'm going to go through all of it. The thing is, is that Janice's version is also doing a painting. They are not doing a note for note by any means, but even not even in the fact of like the structure in the chords in the song, maybe not the chords, I don't know. Maybe they do match perfectly. I haven't done that research, but definitely the original Porgy and Bess did not have <laughs> that guitar fucking screaming and doing all this stuff. It's been such a standard. It's been done so so many times, some ones that I were going to highlight if we want to actually spend the time on it. The Zombies do a version of Summertime that's a little bit more rock and roll, a little bit closer to the Janice version. It's summertime And living is easy The busy Uh, Sam Cooke has an amazing version of it. Your dad is rich And your ma is good looking So hush, little baby Don't you cry I do want to highlight here a version done. I'm not going to do like the original cast of Porgy and Bess. There's a version that Louis Armstrong and Ella Fitzgerald do to me encapsulates a little bit more of what that rendition in Porgy and Bess and the culture of that and all that. I just need a moment here to talk about it's incredible when listening to this because Louis sings on this song as well. The juxtaposition of how he made his fucking horn sing the way that no one else can play the trumpet like Louis Armstrong does. 
like nobody. They can be playing the exact same notes or doing whatever. His voice comes out of his trumpet and it's fucking more beautiful and amazing than any other trumpet player could ever possibly do. Like this, and he's singing real weird now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but no, the juxtaposition between those two things were like he could play the horn more sweetly and beautifully. Just like the way he plays horn is so distinct, but fucking immaculate and perfect. And his voice is also so different. No one else can do it, but opposite of the way he plays the horn. Like no one would try to openly. Tom Waits is doing something different than Louis Armstrong is doing. Like it's it's not an objectively if it's an objectively not beautiful voice. Objectively, no one's gonna be like, that's the most amazing thing. That could probably be said about Billy Holiday. It makes me sad. So never mind. I love Louis Armstrong, so let's not let's not It's the juxtaposition on how beautifully he plays the horn and how weird his fucking singing voice is. There's a juxtaposition there that I just I, I can't help myself from pointing out you know like I'm sorry for me that's why the juxtaposition is so stark because like his horn is so beautiful her voice so beautiful can we get to this <laughs> no okay. whoa I've never said fuck him singing no okay it's I am not trying to take Louis Armstrong down a notch at all. I love his singing voice. I love the weird. You know how much I love fucking Tom Waits. You know that this is fucking my bag. It's it's just for me, like I get the fact we're like someone listening to that horn, and then that voice, and then coming upon Louis Armstrong. It isn't so much like I hate it. It's just like, oh, I get why a fucking 21 year old would listen to this and be like, oh, no. Nice, nice. What the fuck? You know, like, one thing's not like the other. One of these things just don't fit. My point that his, his trumpet, his trumpet matches perfectly to Ella Fitzgerald's voice. Perfectly those things match. They're fucking sent from above. A fucking beautiful fucking demonstration of what mankind could be. This is a heavenly fucking message. Then... Dude, I love Louis Armstrong's voice! This is the fucking thing! This is the thing! Here's my turn. By the way, guys, always got a turn. So that's the pedigree of the song. Like I said, I didn't want to get into the zombies and Sam Cooke. In the same way that I wanted to include one in the discussion of the Tom Tom Club. Summertime? I don't think she does. In my discography, I've never come across it. So I feel like I've gotten deep enough cuts where that would have shown up. Oh, Billy Holiday did a version?
But in the same way, like we said, this is Porgy and Bess summertime Broadway play. But it was on Broadway. But there's been plenty of musicals that were all sung that would have been on Broadway. I mean, that's not... Right. And very racist now. <laughs> in the same way that like it was very progressive for uh, the one from Gone with the Wind who won the Oscar but it was like pretty racist at the time <laughs> in retrospect I mean at the time it's like super progressive but in retrospect it's like uh, that's got some problems behind it she wasn't even supposed to be allowed in the hotel that was holding the event you know what I mean but yes these old Jazz versions would be the the authentic point. It became a big jazz standard. Ella and Louis, two of the biggest names in jazz ever. No dispute there. Louis is fucking Louis is the fucking Jordan of jazz music, right? I don't think there's a more apt analogy. He he totally changed the game. He was the fucking best, the top of his game. He changed everything. He's like he, the George Lucas with Star Wars. He just fucking just. <laughs> He is more almost like Julius Irving. You're like, oh, the Bill Russell. He's the Bill Russell of fucking jazz. So like Coltrane would be the the Michael Jordan in this analogy. Armstrong's Bill Russell. Jordan is a uh, Coltrane. That makes sense to me. Makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. I see that. I see that. Oh shit, I didn't even think of that. Fucking hell. That's pretty amazing. Does that make Dave Brubeck Larry Bird? <laughs> Oh, I tickled myself with that. Okay, I want to get to my turn. I want to get to my turn. So this is my turn. I feel like it still needs to be put in this summertime conversation. That's song. Do you think it's a stretch? Like the summertime thing. They are sampling it, right? It's got the sample in there. So I'm justified with my inclusion. But it is definitely just as in the same way that one did. It's taking a picture and then doing a painting of it. It is not like we're not trying to do a one for one here at all. Because he uses and the living's easy. 
Because I feel like Summertime and Living's Easy, I feel like those are the only two references to the actual song that's being used. An actual sample from at least some version of a Porgy and Bess. I didn't know that, but I felt like those were like inclusionary, but also not like direct covers or samples or versions or whatever you want to call it. No, I think you call it summertime. Sublime, you mean? Pretty sure they call it summertime. That's how it's in my playlist. Oh. Most of my sublime discography comes from Napster, so <laughs> I'm not gonna <laughs> cred to how it's labeled. <laughs> but mine is labeled summertime, so excuse me for the... There you go. It has definitely with like the scratching, it, it is bringing it into a different comprehension of the content. Whoa, it's closer for me to. Well, the bus rhymes is also just the shit, so it's kind of a hard sell to have the sublime do that. They aren't good enough artists to do what they did with bus rhymes. Well, I kind of, see, I haven't been like a big sublime head, and I know there's those people out there, but I kind of dig at least the premise of them for that, for that like going out there and doing that. I dig that. I, I think that's it's really cool that they they wanted to push that line, and I think more people should. Go ahead. Not Ira. Okay. So both Gershwin boys are present. Okay, so there is the play. He got a through line to write the play from the original play. So I was cracked a little bit that the, it wasn't just an opera. It was at one time a play. And then the adaptation started piling on. Like I said, I do feel like the uh, sampler platter could be a continuation thing because there's obviously, I always say as well within my music, like you steal from me, you steal twice. <laughs> because, but I feel like these two in particular, I want to make a little justification why we're talking about this in the first place. I feel like there's some interesting storylines and some interesting things happening. I frankly feel like the Porgy and Bess thing, we could do a whole episode on and all the iterations of we could definitely go through in my mind the evolution from Janis Joplin to the zombies to Sam Cooke to further down the line I think there's a there's there's a missing link there that I don't quite know between Sam Cooke and Ella Fitzgerald and then you tonight predated me with the Billie Holiday version which I've never fucking heard and we're gonna have a little break here and I get to listen to the rest but that being said I dork out I nerd obscurial 
off of all of this uh, music kind of stuff. And I, so I just, I wanted to go down a little path with some of these songs. And I think the sampler platter was a good idea for it. We may find a lot more and go down the sampler platter, but why don't we instead take a break and then we will get back to... Okay, soups on people. <laughs> So I think it's going to keep music themed. Um, we've done... I like to call them awesome mixes. I know that that's problematic with Oklahoma. I do. <laughs> I just like the comedy of like that delayed do. <laughs> There's too many vocal inflexes to be believed by you saying that. Drink me a mix. And they've all been drink me a mix and I've never noticed. I mean, I've noticed. I just wanted to make sure that you notice. Okay, so we got a new drink me a mix. I always assume because I'm the most important thing that ever happened to humanity that I'm going to go first. <laughs> hey, I resemble that remark. To be fair, I'm too proud to know that there's an outside world that isn't me. So, the fact that there's someone else talking to me and not saying exactly what I'm saying, that's very disturbing. I wanted to choose a wake. I said, did you choose a funeral? Did you choose a wake? I said awake, I said you can have a funeral if you want it, but I'm doing awake. Would you prefer to have a wake compared to a funeral? Because I didn't know if I was projecting my own wants there. That didn't answer my question. Oh, the burial service, this is this is after the burial service shit. This is a, uh, you know, the the after party, if you will. This is just for the wake. I don't need to really justify it, but this is at the kind of party-ish part. You know, this is the, this isn't the teary part. This is the fun part. To me, I have to begin, ain't no one do a wake like the Irish. I got to begin with the Irish. The first two songs are from Flogging Molly. Very irish theme kind of stuff. I do want this to be my first song. There's some, I think, mood-wise, really cool things with, like, the drums. Because, like, it'll kick in first with the fucking bass drums and all that stuff. Says, 
And then he starts hitting on that snare and it's fucking all on. And suddenly it becomes this like introspective kind of thing. It's just like, oh, we're all fucking partying now, <laughs> you know? So for me, that like is a great definitive of a great wake song. It begins with this very introspective kind of thing. And you are that at the beginning. Like you need to be eased into it. You just can't fucking start rocking the biggest fucking dance song. <laughs> you just can't start rocking Sir Mix-A-Lot or something like that. You gotta have that little fucking gradual thing. But like even that transition for those 30 seconds, it makes you want to fucking get up and dance. So for me, that's like the ultimate beginner wake song right there. We're gonna continue with the flogging mollies just because like i said ease people into the wake idea and this song is a fucking also banger i believe it's a song called drunken lullabies So at this point, I'm kind of digging into the Irish fucking wake vibe. It's a fucking great song, though, too. And it has a lot of, like, sentimental kind of things. And, you know, but yeah, singing about being drunk and <laughs> our mistakes and drunk and lullabies. Very apropos. Yeah. So it goes perfectly into my next song, though. So I'm just going to I'm going to do my next song because I can't find a better way to transition to it. So that's Uncle Tupelo's screen door. I love the line, down here where we're at, everybody is equally poor. 
down here where we're at, we don't care what happens outside the screen door. That is fucking to me, like you were saying about that, like the community, like th th these are my people here, you know, like this is the safe space. This is like where we don't care what happens outside the screen door. We're all just sitting inside the screen door, the screen fucking thing. And like, we're playing songs. Our friends come around, they play songs too. Like there's that just beautiful feeling. It's like, yeah, I had to go immediately to it when you were talking about with the Floggy Molly. That's exactly, exactly the sentiment. That's I still feel with the Floggy Molly, there's a little bit of like Irish appropriation because I got Irish blood in me, but I, I'm not Irish Irish. I don't... Uncle Dubelo, that's my community. <laughs> Those are my hillbillies. Those are my fucking redneck motherfuckers. So, of course, I give two to Flog and Molly, and I can't just give one to Uncle Dupelo. Double doubles. And as well, I feel like that Flog and Molly and Uncle Dupelo. In the music sense, everything vibes nicely from one to the other. There isn't a lot of like, you know, it's not like going from, if I went from Flogging Molly to like Jay-Z, there'd be an abrupt fucking what the fuck. And you know me, I like to have that congruency one song to the other. Of the pub field. So our second Uncle Tupelo. And this is one that it's not necessarily like it has a message for the people there at the wake or some kind of community thing or whatever. I just, I love that song. It's so good. And it has these images, you know, of roller trucks in at dawn and come on back from New York City and all this kind of stuff. It just, it, it, it's always hit me in the feel feels. So this is one though, like the next song is going to be, it's gonna make sense when you hear the last song to the next song, but it isn't like immediately, oh, that should be the next song on the list. It's, for me, it's a stretch, but when you hear the drum beat between the two,
For some reason, it came to me that those drum beats have a matching thing there, and I like that synergy, and I love this song. Fucking banger of a song. I love it. It is one of my, I would put it on top 20 songs for me. You know, I just, I really love this song. And the hooks are really nice. Like, those are fucking really fun hooks. Just first off, before we get into vocals, I thought musically that's a pretty nice transition. It's just, there's kind of a seamless nature. You don't know. It isn't jaunting going from one song to the other. And I always crave that in my mixes. That's before you can realize what the next song is, you're already grooved into it. You're already like hardline. Yes, I love you. Yesterday we had some rain, but all in all, I can't complain. Was it dusty? I get that the mood will definitely be coming down with this song. It's one of my favorite songs, though. And also, it's something that, like, I do just love the message of the P.S. I love you. This is the song where grandma and grandpa do the slow dance or whatever. Like, you know, you, you gotta leave the space for those things. But also, it's one of my favorite songs ever. It's definitely on the short list. It's so sweet. It's so, it moves me, you know. But this one in particular, I've heard a lot of Billie Holiday songs, and this is the one that fucking just, just like, this is the one. P.S. I love you. Just like, and I love just talking about such mundane things. I, we didn't hear it, but later on in the song, she goes, write to the Browns as soon as you're able. They came around to call, and I burned a hole in the dining room table. Well, let me think. I guess that's all. Nothing else for me to say, and so I'll go. But by the way, everybody's thinking of you. P.S. I love you. Yes, I love you. Right to the Browns, just as soon as you're able. They came around to call. 
Like that's it's something so mundane, but it's also something like everyone wants to hear that. <laughs> like all these mundane things. This is what life's going on stuff. But like, but I love you. It's like such a beautiful the small things in life within the mundane. I love the Fiona Apple, but like me getting to that was a big reason why she's on the playlist. <laughs> it's a harder transition otherwise. When I get Billy, then I get an excuse to go further down the jazz room. And so I don't know what audience. That's gonna be the whole thing. Is that like you're coming to my wake? You're gonna have to deal with my weirdness. So I'm gonna go. Yes, I love you. Love you. Love you. So that's Thelonious Monk's Blue Boulevard Blues. Devotees may remember it. Yeah, fan of the show. Friend of the show, you're right, you're right. Yeah, so I gotta put my weird jazz shit out there, and if there's one song I gotta put out there, this is gonna be it. Just love the song. Also, I think works nicely and flawlessly with P.S. I Love You. Like, it just, one to the other, the song just really fits so fucking well. And like I said, I love the congruency in a mix. Both very piano-centered, but also like, I feel like the pneumatic scales they're in too has something to do with it maybe, or like the beat at least. I just love him, love this song. Like, it is one of those of like, do you want to know what Eric loved in music? Here's the short list, but we're gonna go to another double. themselves too are just fucking incredible it's like a fucking master course in like being a musician like it's just so good
I just need to point out the fact that like the biggest reason why I had to have fucking Thelonious next to Stevie on that like you know how fucking crazy that line is? That is amazing that he fucking made that work. Like, he made this this huge fucking pop song. It has this awesome fucking jazz go around goddamn solo line just in the middle of it. Oh my God. So good. It's so good. Now, the beginning of this song is the favorite thing that, to me, Stevie Wonder has ever done. No, the next one I'm going to play. This also is from Songs of the Key of Life. It's a song called Ordinary Pain. I love, 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 love the beginning of this song. To me, this is the best thing Stevie Wonder's ever done. And it gets weird, and I like that too. The the middle of it goes straight fucking weird funk, and it's just fucking badass too. But like, to me, the beginning of the song is like some of the sweetest fucking melodic, beautiful music that's ever been made. And I do love the weird funk behind it too. So it's a very incorporation of like, it, it is my favorite Stevie Wonder song, even though it's a little Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And just in the same way, P.S. I Love You is the most beautiful stuff Billy did. This is the most beautiful stuff Stevie did. I love that it's that contradiction between something that's really big to you, but also realizing that it's something just so normal. Ordinary pain, that's like the whole sentiment behind it. But it's like, it's a, this very specific story and he's very much talking about like these things that happen between these two people, but it's like, you have to keep reminding yourself, okay, this is just what everyone has happened to them. This is just an ordinary pain, you know? Yeah. I love that sentiment. I love that message. I love, I think that that's also healthy people should be doing that a lot that's the whole thing is that when you think that everything is so terrible you forget about how replicable <laughs> these circumstances are how a lot of people are going through the same exact shit you know i do believe this is where we get to the second part of this it's why i don't include it on a lot of mixes but i'm just gonna i'm gonna make the people in my wake suffer and it is fucking badass Oh, 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 
just the perfect thing next to this ordinary pain song. It's like so sweet, but also talking about like the everyday moments, stuff like that. And like it fits so well, but it's very Frank Zappa. It's very meta. It's very like anti-pop. Let's just put it that way. You know, this is not pop music at all that you're getting into right now. And exactly the reason why this is what I want to be played. That's absolutely what's happening. It's absolutely him being overly sentimental. And you're, like, you're just a sentimental fool. Like, that's the whole he said, she said. And I love out of, like, the foundation of modern music, but particularly black modern music, that call and response. Within that song, not getting into the convention of call and response of, like, one line them, one line you, one line you. Like, you don't have to do the blues, but then you can have a whole opus of this beautiful sweet music and then the response on the end that just is this behemoth the whole point of the fact is that it's my cup of tea now you have to suffer through the things I love so much oh for sure that song definitely encapsulates to me Stevie Wonder So we just got out of uh, Ordinary Pain, but I was realizing out of this song too, though, like there's also this thing about it that like, it's like you're dead. You're just like, okay, let, let's assume I'm, I'm doing this for my son. These are songs you need to listen to. There's, these are lessons you need to have from these songs. There's this playfulness about it. Also, okay, so there is this message though. The Latin phrase is nihil ex nihilo fecit. So I always love to throw out Latin. Definitely, I think I got to that phrase through King Lear, William Shakespeare. I think that is, yes, that that is definitely how I remember the first time listening to that phrase. Nothing makes out of nothing. That would be, but like I said, just to give a blow by blow. But goddamn, this song is so fun, so great. And um, a little foreshadowing here gives me a reason to get to the Beatles. So <laughs> that's got its own advantages. This isn't a top 10 for me. Like, I, I do love this song. Like, I, I legitimately, it's just, it's fun. It's fucking, it has some cool messages behind it too. It's not necessarily just like dumb pop fun. To me, there's some metaphysical phrases in there that are enlightening and are should not be forgotten but also it's just super fun great group community and joyous and so i hope other people get that too billy preston gets me to the beatles
It's hard because like Rubber Soul is a lifetime away from when they picked up on Billy Preston in um, Let It Be. It's just a far extended excuse for me to play in my life, which is a it is a wake song for me. This is like if I am representing what I feel like is my continuum in the life death cycle. This is a huge representation of my understanding of that. And it's so great and sweet. And it's exactly true. Like, in my life, I've loved them all. It feels so cheesy to say because of the song, but it's, like, completely true of my sentiment of what existence is. So I had to find a way to get there <laughs> and Billy Preston was my uh, stone. He thought better of it. I was I was definitely being a lot less conscious of the people who are going to be there and more conscious of the fact that like I get to show off my music. <laughs> oh, your comment is made by saying no comment. <laughs> Let's see where we go from here. Sat together in the park As the evening sky grew dark She looked at him and he felt a spark Tingle to his bones T'was then he felt alone And wished that he'd gone straight And watched out for a simple twist of fate My very favorite song, I have to put it on the mix. People have to listen to it because it's my very favorite song. To me, it's the Alpha to Omega for me. And uh, I do have to say too, and this is completely as a rhythm guitar player, it's a lot of fun to play too. Like it's not only the like, it's such a significant sentimental song to me, but like I do enjoy the musicality of it too. And like the progression of it. And maybe because it means so much to me, I dig it so much has a great synergy about it. I don't know. I am sure there's a lot of uh, easy ways to explain it. Sometimes we just get attached to a certain sentiment, but the idea of Simple Twist of Fate 
the stories he goes through with it. The idea, just the term, a simple twist of fate, I feel like is objectionably what we are in the place where we are and the reason that we are and why we're having a perception where we are on our existence. It's just a simple twist of fate. It's just that for some reason we're here. And in the song, in the cryptic nature that Bob Dylan is, there is just within that sentiment of like, we're just trying to figure out who we are, what we are, where we are. And the truth is, it's just all by chance. And that chance doesn't make it any easier with heartache, disappointment, jubilation, any emotion that we experience. But it is what it is. And it's just here as a simple twist of fate. That's that inclusion, but we're not done yet. We still have a few songs. like an asphalt dance floor where all the old timers and bib jeans and store-bought boots so this is where i really tortured the audience <laughs> the putnam county thing um it's one of those where okay awake in awake context this is just like the fact that you have to deal with these are some of my favorite things and i love this song um, to me, giving justification of why it's on this list. We talked earlier about community. Putnam County is exactly the community that I remembered or romanticized in my head, like growing up. You know, like. Over the Burgermeister beer guts. Swizzle stick legs, jackknifed over Naga Heights Witch hazels spread out over the linoleum floors. Pedal pushers stretched out over midriff bulges. And the quaffed brunette curls over Maybelline eyes. It's swizzle stick legs jackknifed over Naga hide stools. God damn, that's a fucking word fucking poetry like that's such a good phrase that's so fucking potent you know everything that that's saying the national register was singing to the tune of 57 dollars and 57 cents why does that mean so much to me i don't know i don't know but that fucking line is so beautiful and completely true these are just small examples so many within that song it's just it's so good i love it so much rainy corner and be blowing its horn in every window in town
Yeah, I'm going to subject people to Bob Dylan at the end, too. And positively, Poor Street. It's a little bit of a F.U. two fingers to the whole situation. You got a lot of nerve to say you are my friend. This opening line, that's kind of hostile. I feel like our transition for the dead has a lot more to do about us than it has to do about them. And it's like these people who fucking you hated in your own life become these great martyrs once they're dead. You know, like there's this huge attitude shift and there's this huge like people who wouldn't give two shits about you once you're dead fucking oh, suddenly you become this great cause for them. It's about them. Most of funerals are about the people at the funeral, not about the person who's dead. Most of the grieving, most of the crying, most of all the other bullshit, all the other sentimental baggage that goes behind funerals has much more to do with the living than it does the dead. They could give two shits. So this is the up you to establishment and like, I'm gonna stand by it just cause I, I, I like a tinge of the trickster. In the the fuck you and also I just I love Bob Dylan and also it's a fucking great song. I do love the hook in that song and It is on my top 10. So that is another part of the mission statement of like, these are also just some of my favorite songs. I know that's not the thing of the list, not just the top 10 of my favorite songs for when I'm dead. But yeah, also I do, like you said, you do you. That That is part of me. I do want to give like a final little fucking middle finger to everybody. Like, you think I'm, you're my friend? No, no, you just fucking using me, you piece of shit. <laughs> you used me when I did. You think I'm this great thing now because I'm dead, but fucking you don't care about me. Okay, actually, I didn't tell you this. <laughs> I decided to name my playlist Wakey Wakey. I did not include Hands Off Snakey, but I thought that would be an elliptical that would be understood. But, you know, that was my wake. Oklahoma, what do you got for yours? Getting people amped up. Well, amped up, but like a, a, a emotionally prepared for what they're going to do. You want a sad beginning. We're going to start sad. Okay. You have a good sad song. boy the pipes the pipes are calling from glen to glen and down the mountainside the summer's gone 
and all the roses. This is the scene where, like, you're going from the funeral to the wake. Gravitas. fucking awesome and um, I, I know you say like you're, you're you're doing like the whole vibe of a funeral where like you're starting with okay we got the corpse here and we're gonna get just kind of a little sad nostalgic now we're doing the fucking uh, what is it called the uh, New Orleans uh, the walk and like the, the dance and the, all the stuff they do there's a particular term for it okay okay be playing dust in the wind at your point. <laughs> such a good bass life.
didn't put it on obviously like my list and everything like that, but I would have that in my top 10 songs. You know, you're going to your deathbed. What you love is songs. It's there, dude. I love that song. That song is fucking man. Heaviness to it, and it's well, like just the sentiment of the uh, thing in relation to your death. Like, where I go, I just don't know. I have to just let it go. You know, like there's a mantra, Buddhist mantra ish kind of thing going on in the song. It's, it feels very fitting. I, I'm kind of kicking myself for not including it myself. Masturbate. <laughs> You're right. It does capture that the the melancholy joy. That's a very good way of describing it. Two songs from Uncle Tupelo. I don't think I could have justified California Stars, although it is one of my favorites. And yeah, you know, I, I just love Jeff Tweet. I think more than that, though, like if you think about it in a um, metaphysical sense, California Stars is like. That's us, baby. That's that's our culture. Like that is where we came from, and where people want. And like, I don't know. It takes a lot of box for me, and I, I feel like it should for you too. Of like, um, God damn, we hit the lottery. <laughs> Being who we are, where we are, with everything we have, you know what I mean? We're the California stars. Like, we're fucking, like, we just by existing have fucking hit the big time. <laughs> like, we're already in it. And definitely it has that whimsy is not the right word. There's no optimism as there's a realism behind it. Of like, it's just how it's going to be.
Dude, I love it. Making a fucking theme. Like, just keep fucking bringing it around. I love it. There is this thing where... Because there's certain people who only interact with each other because of you. There's no reason for me to hang out with you. There's no reason for you to hang out with her. But because I, this median, we're all part of the friend group. It is a funny thing I never thought about. Like, possibly the goodbye for those people. It's definitely the fact of, like, there's no reason for us to ever hang out with each other if it was not for this guy. <laughs> you know? If I may interrupt for a moment, ladies and gentlemen, Slash. ever a perfect song it's hey jude perfect song no if no ants no buts perfect fucking song so if there's any song that fucking you need perfection for god damn that's a fair perfect song no i'm gonna have to ask you this like legitimately because i was explaining this to my wife and she was like my wife <laughs> she didn't know this you know what hey jude is about julian happened to deal with Yoko. She had no idea of all this. I'm like, how do you not know what this song is about? This is like a textbook song. I guess not. So, okay, if you're hearing it for the first time, that's what Hey Jude is about. So you're talking about all the lyrics and all the content being thrown out about the song? I'm going to throw a counterpoint to you in the Royal Tannerbonds. I know eventually they go to a, a whole music. The majority of it is just done on piano. It's just done on sound. Acoustically, it's perfect. 
without the words, without yeah. the sentiment, without anything else. It's just so beautiful. It's yeah. just so amazing. Like, acoustically, it is perfect. It's fucking perfect. It's a perfect song. Hey Jude is a perfect song without the music, without the lyrics. And then when you put the lyrics on topic, it's also a perfect song, you know? say this anyone who puts that song on their fucking funeral list fuck them they're fucking assholes how dare they how dare they subject that audience to that bullshit A just retribution. There's a um, agelessness about it. It's, it doesn't have to do about right now. It doesn't have to do about in the future. It doesn't have to do about in the past. We've all had that feeling. And also, like, it's a good feeling. And it's um, not something that... I don't know. It's not some, it, It's a true feeling. It's not something that needs to be like, what are your motives? You're happy because you're happy, <laughs> you know, like there's no motive. There's no like uh, inauthentic, like what are you really doing here? It's just like it's it's authentic. There's an authenticism. It's I, I did the song, too. I'm not saying that you stole from me. I'm just saying that you I did the song, too. I'm not saying you stole from me. I'm just saying that it, I did the song, too. Yeah, you really gotta be pushing the, uh, the fucking... I don't care if I'm not from New Orleans. What do you have after this song? i yeah. 
Gadzooks and Nerd G-A-D-Z-O-O-K-S Gadzooks and Nerd.com slash meow M-E-O-W Gadzooks and Nerd.com slash fields F-I-E-L-D-S Gadzooks and Nerd Big Pretzel Eric the Troubadour Paul Rudd, Leonard Nimoy, The Wizarding World of Harry Potter and its parent companies, The Buggles, me, The Oklahoma Kid, Netscape and its parent companies, Paul F. Tompkins, Paul McCartney, my wife and her parent companies, The Great State of Oklahoma, All Cats Everywhere on the Internet, 